The Highlander Podcast is brought to you by Outdoor Product Design and Development, a four-year undergraduate degree focused on training the next generation of product creators for the sports and outdoor industries. Learn more at opdd.usu.edu. The Highlander Podcast is sponsored by the Outdoor Recreation Archive, a collaboration between OPDD and USU Special Collections to preserve the history and print materials of the people, products, and brands of the outdoor industry. Follow the archive at Outdoor Rec Archive on Instagram. The Highlander Podcast is sponsored by the Utah Outdoor Association, a business association focused on elevating Utah's outdoor industry through educational programming and events. Their membership consists of Utah's outdoor manufacturers, retailers, outfitters, and guides. Member benefits include networking opportunities, recruitment of talent, and brand promotion. More information about volunteering and membership is available at utahoutdoor.org. On this episode, we talk with Leander Anger, founder and creative behind Racing Atelier. We talk about the craftsmanship that goes into designing and producing backpacks, including manufacturing pack frames and hardware, designing backpacks in Bavaria, and backpacks as fine art. Welcome back, everyone. This is Chase, and joining me today is the founder and designer creative behind um, Racing Atelier, uh, Leander. Nice to meet you, and, and thanks for joining me. Hi, Chase. Good to see you. Yeah, I know we've been talking back and forth for, uh, it feels like it's probably been months now at this point, um, trying to schedule something. And so I'm, I'm glad that we could make it work. I'm glad that I could, um, you know, finally, finally make it work on my side. You've always been willing. I've just had things pop up. So thanks for taking time. Um, you know, I've been following your work for, for a while now and, and has been really inspired by it and, and want our students to get more familiar with, with what you do. Cause everything that you do is just, it's incredible and beautiful and inspiring. But, um, I wanted to turn back the clock a little bit and understand how you got interested in the outdoors to start. What, what was your first introduction to the outdoors in general, not necessarily the outdoor industry, but the outdoors and outdoor activity. Um, the first introduction to outdoors was really just personal life. Like I grew up in the area where I'm back now and we've just been mountain biking and skiing and hiking ever since. So that's just always been part of my part of my life. And then I very early on, I started to kind of be in the workshop and spend time for my outdoor uh, stuff. Um, because I think, um, I'm, uh, how can I say, like I was raised or in a creative family, like my dad's an artist, my mom does pottery. So there has always been a workshop around and, and the area where we, like my brother and myself would go to, to have fun is go to the workshop. So very early on, we started to build our own bikes and, and stuff. And I was early on interested in sewing and already in backpacks and stuff. So that just started and then I kind of didn't do things like that when I was around in my teens until 20 or something because I just did other stuff. Like I was still skiing and biking. I was a professional mountain bike racer. So then haven't like developed stuff. And then when the question came up, like, what do you want to study or do you have to study or what's happening next kind of in that phase, <laughs> I realized I can only do something in a way creative because all the other stuff I was just not 
good enough and not interested enough. <laughs> and then I kind of tried to find a school to study design, which I did and started to study design. And then it became more and more again. And I really started to spend more time really in the workshop and really kind of doing my stuff because I, I mean, I'm a trained designer, but I'm always saying like I'm a workshop designer. And I think that's where my work is born. And that comes from the past that first was the workshop and then was whatever came. So, right. Yeah. I think it's, it's interesting. I, I've, I feel a, a kinship with growing up with the outdoors, just being a part of your life. And in, in, I grew up in Salt Lake city and yeah. uh, you just grow up and, and you see the Wasatch mountains um, in your backyard um, and you kind of don't know any different, right? It's like, yeah. well, the outdoors is just a part of life, right? What you do um, and, yeah. Yeah. It's what you do. Was there a moment where you, you recognized, Oh, people work in the outdoors. Like people have careers where they design outdoor products. Was there a moment where you recognized that not only could you enjoy outdoor activity, but you could be the one that creates products for people? Yeah. But I guess that was only probably even only after my bachelor studies, like mm. before I didn't really know that I want to work in, in outdoor or that I would end up or that's kind of, it was never sort of the aim it only happened after my bachelor studies where when I got more and more into that into yeah what I do now already like um and then when I finished my MA in London I was like okay what what do I want to do and then I stayed in London for a while worked as a classic London freelance designer doing whatsoever uh, making furniture, making an interior, which was amazing. It was a great time. But then kind of had a feeling I had to leave London again. It wasn't my place. Like, I love the city and I almost stayed there, but I left kind of for a gut feeling and came back to kind of figure out what next. And then I kind of fell into that outdoor thing because I I was asked by, a, by um, it's called Faude, which is the... Mm -hmm. A U D E, this German classic brand, uh, to work as a designer there, and then it properly started that I got into outdoor again, like on a professional level. Right. Um, yeah. It it seems that seems common for a lot of people that they don't know that the outdoors is a career path. Yeah. Right. Or you can work in that industry. I, I know for one of our students in particular, I shared this story before um, with others, but she was on, on a long distance um, hike uh, backpacking trip. And it wasn't until someone was standing in front of her and, and she was staring at the back of this person's backpack for hours on end that she recognized, Oh, someone made that. And someone had to go through and, and, um, you know, make the material selection and choose the hardware and she could yeah. look at the stitching and appreciate it for what it was. And that was her moment when she realized, I want to make that stuff. I didn't know yeah. that people could do that. And there's a career in that for me. Um, I, I feel like the gear development and design for a long time kind of fell behind outdoor clothing. Mm -hmm. Like clothing has always been popular and people knew that you have to design it and you, you kind of, yeah, that's what you do. But I feel like the general public never really wondered who and where a backpack is made, for example. Like, it's just like something that you buy and then you have it and that's it. Like, mm -hmm. uh, that's kind well, of it, it seems like there's kind of more of a natural uh, career path, right? You can go to fashion school 
and then yeah. you know transition into a career in a, in apparel design and obviously you have to learn all the technical aspects of creating yeah. apparel um but there isn't a backpack design school or what there wasn't i think there's more workshops and things like that now yeah um i think the closest thing to it is people would go industrial study industrial design you know and do automotive design but then fall into footwear or consumer yeah. electronics yeah. or appliances and then it transition right yeah. and now there's developed like more of a natural you know i think career path in the gear it seems like that's developing yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and your program what 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 was your program it was um, I did it wasn't like product a, design was it yeah i did a product okay. and an industrial design like the ma was industrial design but i i always have to say that it's not been industrial at all like it, like i was for two years uh dealing with theory philo- philosophy mm. and all these things that i was interested in so i wasn't dealing with any industrial design aspects but it was really good and it was really like i feel like for me the masters was just basically a chance to kind of position myself within the field of design mm-hmm. and understanding where i want to be at least for a while or something mm-hmm. but it was not that i kind of really le- like i learned more about myself than i learned any skills how important was it you you brought a lot of skills to the table hands on um you know skills creation um how important was it for you to bring this, the skills that you already had with the theory that you learned in school and blend those together was 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 that helpful to be able to bring those together yeah i think it was very helpful and it Mm, in and for me personally it was help it was helpful because i really realized what my take on design is in a way and it's bringing this sort of like hands on stuff together with thinking that i can't, like i mean it's not tapping on my shoulder i always just want to be my stuff contemporary i don't say modern or something like i just want it to be contemporary and and feel like there is so many factors that factor in a contemporary design of contemporary product and and the hands on stuff is sometimes a bit outdated or is sometimes like come like comes from sometimes from the past but i realized that for me both is really important and with the masters i realized that i can combine it and it can still be designed in a way mm. that was so for me personally it was really important to to bring these two together and understand it actually like before i i had these things and i didn't know how they go together in a way right but that a, a number of our students are going through that right now and i think the like you said the big thing for them our ours our program is so skills heavy there's there's theory as well but i think a lot of our students in addition to learning the skills upon graduation it is that you know self discovery and finding out who you are as a designer and kind of developing that own personal design statement like who am i as a designer what do i believe um that sounds like was was similar for you yeah absolutely um well so what what was your experience like um working more in a corporate environment that that first real outdoor job what what was that experience like what were you doing um what what was that like for you Uh, that was actually really good like i mean i they created a role for me which was amazing and i was kind of this guy that i'm not still i am i was this workshop designer having to deal with innovations mm. so that was the role and that was actually in theory a, a lot 
better than I could manage to implement my work in the given structure. So because the company has run previous, whatever, 30 years without me, which is absolutely fine. And then this young guy came <laughs> um, and had these crazy ideas. And uh, I felt at this time, the structure as a company, like if you talk with people individually in the company, they were like, yeah, we need someone like, who takes care of these little innovations and, and how to make things a tiny bit better and different. But then as a company, I feel they weren't really ready yet for, for these small changes and for hands-on development. So I was kind of always hitting a wall. And I was like, ah. And then at some point, I, yeah, as good as the job was, really, I have to say it was an amazing job, but I was, it, it was not really possible for me to be really happy with it because it, I couldn't take my work somewhere where it's been executed or where it's like it was I was like ah just before so at some point I was just like okay I can't do this anymore it doesn't make me happy and then I quit actually a lovely a lovely job hmm. um so it has a bit two-sided I think it, like I had a great experience and I actually like to work with people and I think it's also one of the key aspects about design work is communication and working with other people like if you only do it in your own brain i think it will only be uh to sorry but it's kind of right. like this right right <laughs> yeah. well, we well need people that ask questions or people that just look at it from a slightly different angle right uh, to make something that's really different or better or whatever it shall be mm -hmm. um so in that sense I had a good time in the company. It was good. It was just that I didn't manage to get what I wanted to from, from really my job. Right. Well, it seems really uncommon for the majority of outdoor companies to have, um, you know, the prototyping capabilities in house or that proximity to the product actually being made. I don't yeah. know if that's something that you ran into that was frustrating. You're, you're so hands-on. Did you find yourself unable to, to, do a lot of that work that you really enjoyed or be close to the actual process of creating product because it was, maybe it was so separate. Was, was that a challenge? Well, it wasn't, it wasn't that because they actually have their own production, even oh, here great. in Germany. So, so we had like, everything was in that sense was perfect. It was mm -hmm. just sort of like the, whatever sales marked, like everyone mm -hmm. that's involved. And I can't even specifically say, I just feel like this, structure kind of wasn't ready and i i realized after i left because i'm also in good contact with them slowly what i started kind of uh built up and and kind of people got more interested in which is great and i yeah as i say it was just maybe a bit too early or too yeah right so so when when did the i guess the the idea for your studio um really start to to take form um and and what what inspired that when did that come about was it while you were in school or was it when you were working when when did this idea of creating a studio um, well, start to develop that started to develop when i came back from london and then i was uh, hired by vaudi for a while but i still kept kind of my thing a little bit going and, and here because I had this workshop just found before I went to work with Faudi. So I kept it. And, and after I quit my job, I, I said, okay, well, then now you kind of have to start your own thing. Like you have to have a 
a plan and you can't quit like a great design job and and whatever not do anything so i said okay then you now start your own thing and uh, until then i've kind of made enough of these first backpacks that i knew that is something that i'm really interested in and earned like quite good feedback so i didn't know where that will end at that point um but i said okay one part of my personal design studio is trying to make this backpack thing happen wherever it may go um and that was one angle and then the other angle was that i was just working as a freelance designer doing jobs for smaller jobs for outdoor industry but then also doing like lots of furniture jobs because they're, I think they're always easy to get. Mm. Um, and they're, they're always nice. Like I did like furniture jobs, which are like one-off commissions. And then I built like really nice tables and, and stuff like this. And then now I do it rarely, but still do it. And I still enjoy it. Like it's a, it's still a good mix within what I do. Right. And since then I've, I've started to grow this, uh, racing atelier as a design studio so in an ideal scenario working on my own products which are the backpacks bags and so on and working for clients is sort of on a 50 50 base now, now at the moment i work a lot more on my own stuff which is great but it just takes more time at the moment but then i try to kind of i, I would love to yeah have it 50 50 because as I said earlier, um, I really think conversation and discussion is important in design. And I therefore really value the jobs with external clients that commission me to work for them. Um, and it's a good, ins like it's a really good input from the outside world into my little bubble. Right. Well, I was going to ask about your, your bubble. Um, it's a beautiful bubble. Uh, so you're you're in uh, uh, what, what's the name of the town in Bavaria? It's called Oberammergau. It's mm -hmm. called, it's a tiny five thousand residents town, but world famous because they have this Passion of Christ play every ten years. Oh, so yeah. it's world famous. Not really does it matter for me, but uh, that's okay. Um, and yeah, it's like twenty minutes away from where I grew up. And I randomly found this place here. It was like a house that was empty for five years and a carpentry workshop. Mm. And then I met the owner and now we're renting it. And I kind of rebuilt the whole whole house. Like I had to clean it, put in a shower and there was no water. And, but yeah, it's kind of where we're now. And it's also because it's kind of... Uh, yeah, we're not having the contemporary luxury here, I would say. Um, <laughs> but that makes it possible to start my own work because I don't like the I don't have to spend a lot of money on rent and, and, and so on. I can spend my money on my work, which is good. Right. How how important was it for you to be in a place like that? Um, like how, how much of that influences the work? Because I could see how being in a place like London or a major city, there's so many influences. Right, which is great. I mean, for design inspiration, you're you're taking a lot in, but at the same time, I could see how you would almost, um, maybe even subconsciously, just design like everyone else or take inspiration from other places yeah. and and really not develop what you want to be. Yeah. Where you are, it's do you feel like um, you're 
you like you're living in an echo chamber or a bubble, or you're really tapping into who you really are and what you really want to create. And innovation is coming from that rather than pulling from other places. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I really think uh, what you said about sort of like being out here helps to kind of define or shape or hone whatever the English word is your own, mm-hmm. my own take on on design. Like coming from London and still being connected, I could really, I can really see that my friends and, and, and people who live in the city, they all have the same influences. And suddenly, even though everyone does his own stuff, they all kind of do the same stuff. Mm-hmm. which is absolutely fine. And I think that's also one aspect of being contemporary. Um, so, so I'm not saying that this is bad or it's, this is not a matter of quality, but I've, I have a feeling they, they have the same influences at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas here, yes, there is almost no design relevant influences. So it really relates back to myself in a way and to, to, yeah, really hone my my take on my work. So okay. that really makes it stronger. And and um, with every project product that I'm making, I'm I'm kind of searching almost like within myself how, where it should go, rather than searching on the outside or trying to. So so after being here, I realized that uh, for me at least these kind of, you know, that corporate companies often do like design inspiration trips to whatever, Tokyo mm-hmm. and stuff. And I think this is absolutely great. And for me, every trip is also inspiration. But if I look at it as a design inspiration, I find it a bit weird to just go to another place and, and kind of ask the place to tell me what I should do. Mm. Um, because... Yeah, and that's only my take. Like it, it comes from from my work and my surrounding, and 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 that I take the time to really, I'm patient to really find what I'm looking for. Right, and I think that's one of the key differences also between my work and maybe uh, being uh, at a corporate company. Like at a corporate company, you you rarely have as much time as I have for my mm-hmm. own, or as I take for my own work. And uh, I think defining a personal take or a style or, or something is, is a lot connected to patience. Right. Well, do you and find your inspiration? Like you constantly, like I, it seems so simple, but you constantly do everything. Like I, from every thing that I make, I probably make like so many iterations until I have, have the one that I feel like, yeah, that's probably it. And then it's probably not it, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, do you find that being closer to the work is is where you get your source of inspiration? I mean, being hands on, you know, developing the product, using you know the the tools that you use, that's where the inspiration comes. Versus, you mentioned this a little bit. Look at versus looking for outside sources. It's yeah. you know that tactile experience is where the inspiration comes from. Um, I don't think the tactile experience helps for the inspiration that's not really i mean it helps if you have a material at hand where mm-hmm. you'd be like oh shit this is really interesting i should uh, i want to make something from that in that sense it helps but i think being in the workshop itself can only be in- inspirational to some extent because i think i spend so i feel like i spend so much time here it's not inspirational 
per se anymore. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, yeah, it's my boring desk in a way. As you, <laughs> right. It's an exciting desk, but you know, like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I do think inspirations, like for me at least, starts also mostly with as soon as I leave the workshop door for, let's say, it's again what we started when we started an outdoor activity i realized that immediately my brain gets going and it's not that i see something or anything it's just being detached from here Mm -hmm. because here like there is so many like whenever i look around there's like ah you have to do this and you have Mm -hmm. to do this you have to do this whereas when you go away from it even though it's only like two meters or kind of or if you just go for a little bike ride there is only the essence what I really want to work on that I take in my brain. And then immediately I realize that it, mm. it gets going. So it's really hard to say where inspiration comes from. I feel like it's a bit of a, for me personally. Yeah. It, I'm not sure whether it's a bit overrated. I think it's kind of like an inner force of having to create something all the time and right. then searching something, but, not necessarily being that classic seeing something and like, I have to do this. This is not kind of what happens. Yeah. Well, that'll be helpful for our students to hear that just getting a degree doesn't automatically give, you know, help crack that nut for you or help you find the source of inspiration. The degree doesn't give you that, right? It's, it's something you're constantly learning to discover. You're, you're constantly learning about yourself and, and your own design process. And that's different for everyone, right? A degree doesn't give you that necessarily, but it could arm you with some tools or a different way of thinking, but. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, well, why, why backpacks? Why packs? I know we have, we have we have websites dedicated to backpacks. Carryology. I know interviewed you yeah, at, yeah, yeah. at one point, right? Why 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 backpacks? What is it? I've never asked myself that question. I guess it's just been interest. Like really, I've I've made uh, one of my first pack packs when I was still skiing ev- every day, and that was when I was probably eighteen. And I wanted to make, have a pack for skiing. That was just the way I thought it would be nice. And that was the first one. And then it just always, it's been kind of there and it was kind of natural. So I've, I can't really say why, but I realized that's maybe like when I did my MA and even afterwards, I realized that I, I'm really interested in the notion or in the, of carry. Like carry is such a, such a, can be such a big word in a way, like carry, you from carrying responsibility as a, you, you can carry physical things, but you can also carry whatever values and, 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 and ideas and stuff. So I realized that carry is actually something that I'm personally really interested in. And that pops up in my sort of like, whatever career mm-hmm. again and again and again. So, so in that sense, that maybe relates a bit to your question that uh, I always feel like carry is interesting. And when I started, it was purely about the fact I had to carry my skis. Mm. But then more, I, I realized that you can carry, as I said, other things as well. And, and um, that probably goes along a bit with that. Yeah. I, I am really interested in that idea and, and, 
Well, just designers designing with intention and designing with those types of things in mind, right? Like this parallel of, yeah, dis- carrying physical things as well as carrying any number yeah. of other, other you know, non-physical um, things. Um, I mean, how, how important is that for you to be intentional about what you do and, and, you know, being able to, you know, have that through line there. I mean, there's a story there um, that that's been crafted or that you've developed, right. Or, yeah. or discovered, but how important is, is it for you that the work be intentional, right. And, and you can tie it back to that central idea. And, and how often have you seen other designers that don't necessarily have that guiding principle or that intention there? We see this a lot in the outdoor industry, people creating stuff to yeah. create more stuff, right. But where it seems like yours is done very much with intention. Yeah. Well, I think, yeah, going back to my masters and stuff, I realized that one big aspect about design is uh, uh, I can take responsibility. And I don't say every, I, I would love to see every designer take responsibility, but I, I don't like everyone should do as he or she wants. But um, for me, I realized, okay, I have to kind of take responsibility for what I'm doing because I, I don't want to be the person who's just throwing product on the world because if you think about it like really quite like rigorously like you we should just not design anything in a way like Mm -hmm. we should just not do it but I I realized that this is really just what I love to do so I kind of had to find my way to kind of get through that and love do what I love but at the same time uh, find or be on terms with what I do because I think that's kind of it wasn't easy but uh, and I think some consciously and subconsciously that's why the racing atelier has to develop to what it is now Um, because I wanted to have ownership about my stuff and I wanted to know how it works and I even really still enjoy that I know almost every client that I sell to. Um, and I think that's something that's, at least for my work, really important. Um, and also for my design, the understanding of design. Uh, how can I say? I feel like this, in a way as a designer, like or one big thing is to share. And I'm sharing my expertise, my style, but also my value through the product. So in that sense, I can spread what I described earlier a little bit as responsibility. That sounds all like really high above whatever, but I'm just a tiny guy in a tiny workshop, but I still feel like I wanted to spread the way just I can feel comfortable with and I want it. And that's kind of why the product is as it is and why it's made to order and uh, why everything is made here in Germany, whereas it's really expensive mm-hmm. and which makes the product really expensive. I couldn't buy a backpack from my, like from racing atelier, <laughs> but uh, it's just based on this German system, uh, like pay of labor, um, the material, everything. And I feel okay. Then I kind of have the responsibility to communicate that and to kind of, put it out there and share it. And that's kind of why it is like it is now. So, so I feel like, yeah, it's, it's an important factor of my work. 
How how important was it for you to to make everything? And now you don't you don't make everything, but you make so much more than most people. I mean, of course, you're still sourcing the leather, yeah. the Dyneema, but down to the hardware. Yeah, I mean, the, you, there's a lot of pack makers out there, but the majority of pack makers will buy their you know hardware from Duraflex or you know they'll yeah. they'll buy they'll source their hardware but but you're creating that you're you're making the wood frames like how important was that for you to to hand make um the I, it, like i have been asked about the hardware recently and i to be honest i've never really thought about it but i i realized that it must have been important from the first moment because none of the backpacks that I have, like I'm just looking up here because they're there, some of the first ones, none of them has components that I buy. Mm-hmm. So even the first ones that I made, like whatever, seven, eight, nine years ago, already had like metal hardware that I was grinding down in the workshop and filing and, 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 and cleaning. So so I, it must have been really important early on and and, I I can only explain it in a way that I've just not considered buying stuff. Mm-hmm. It was just, I, I feel like it's not been an option. Um, mm. And taking this to the other side, I think having my own hardware, for example, is really one of the key benefits of the product. Um, because a backpack is just a backpack and everyone can make a backpack from leather and Dyneema and also everyone can make his hardware but bringing everything together in this consequence I think this is kind of the only reason why it, it is what it is mm-hmm. um, and the hardware has has like an o- enormous impact on that because as you say like if there is a Duraflex buckle and there is a Duraflex buckle and that's fine but it would not be as consequent as the whole thing is now. And I think, yeah, that's, it has an important role. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, When did you recognize that this was something that people were responding to? And when did you recognize, Oh, this is something that I could, I could do long-term like this, this could be my life or, or or a poor, a chapter of my life at least. When did you recognize that it was, there was some success? Um. When did I recognize? I'm still asking myself that every day. Um, but I, to be honest, I, for the first time now, I realize I have a feeling, or sometimes, like I said to my wife the other day, maybe it now makes sense, kind of what I'm trying. So it really takes a really long time to kind of be like, okay, well, it makes sense. Like I mean, it's been recognized out there a lot earlier, and I sell stuff since a while, but to make to contribute to our living it's only now that it feels like ah yeah it maybe makes sense kind of Mm -hmm. but when i realized it is something specialist for example when i was in japan skiing 2018 and then through a like random connection met someone from this shop in japan from vendor um and they immediately were really interested and were like, yeah, if you can make these guys, we will sell them. And I was like, whoa, this is like, I mean, it was only my brothers and myself, my personal backpack that we were, that we had for a two week ski trip. Um, And I was like, whoa, okay. So maybe there is something there, but that was really the first moment where, where 
I thought to sell it. In a way. Right. Yeah. How, yeah. how did people find it in the, in, in the beginning? I know you've had some great press, but how did even those people find you? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, really. I, I don't know. Like I have a very badly maintained website um, and I have a Instagram account, which I try to kind of maintain a bit more. Um, but I think really it was mostly just because of the product itself. Like this thing in Japan with Vendor was a, was really helpful because they have like a huge reach and then they posted on their Instagram. And I think that was really one of the big, the first big steps in a way where it was just thrown out there. And, and, and I think really the reason why all the press approached me was because the product is something different yeah. um, because I've never approached anybody. I've never like, it's not, yeah, it was just a, purely the product itself that kind of spread it. It's word. Right. Right. What, what was the name of that, the, that group in Japan? Uh, the shop is called Vendor. Oh, Vendor it, shop. Yeah. V E N D O R. Gotcha. They have a big like online thing, which is called cover Court. And they are, they're sort of a bit like, I mean, in Japan, outdoor stuff is fashion anyway. Right. They're between this sort of like classic fashion and outdoor and have their own brands and, and stuff. And, and yeah, so it was a really good fit. Right. Um, I, I know we've, we've gone this um, whole time without um, mentioning kind of the, the combination of natural and synthetic and using leather and Dyneema, and I know you've talked about this in, in other places, but um, what attracted you to that? Um, those, those materials that are seemingly in conflict, but work really well together at the same time. Um, what attracted me to that? It was really just that I stumbled across uh, Dyneema many years ago, and I was just immediately really interested. And that was ex- coincidentally at the same time when I kind of started to make the first backpacks from leather for my brother and myself and that has started because we have an old it's like a simple story but we have a really old Millet from France like a backpack from our dad and that's like made from leather and we were both like oh this one is really cool it has like it, it's a great pack and then I, I was interested in this stuff and I started to make like leather packs and then at the same time I stumbled across Dyneema on an image and I I remember I did crazy research until I found out where it was from and where it was made and what it was and and then at some point I I ordered like my whatever three meters from it was back then called Cubic Tech in the US Um, and then I started and then it from there it kind of yeah progressed and uh, the leather work, in a way, developed itself. Like I started leather without working with leather because I in, really enjoyed it as a material, but didn't know about its cap- capabilities at that time. Like I, I think leather was not it was known as a material for good shoes and briefcases, and that's and that's it. But only uh, when I started to work with it, I actually realized what a great material it is. I mean, there is factors like it's not vegan and, and they're all absolutely okay. But as a material itself and its capabilities, 
I really learned that it's amazing. And then I kind of started to kind of find or extract from the leather what's possible. And that was my, so in a way, like maybe my stuff doesn't look like really functional, but there are really functional elements within, for example, the shoulder straps and stuff. Um, and I tried to kind of give this more room within the product and, and create a functional product from a material that we think is actually just for briefcases in a way. Um, but it's not. Um, so that was kind of how these two had to merge. And, and I think in that sense, also Dyneema, how can I say, Dyneema is a really good partner for leather because they're both really functional, but they're obviously completely different. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so I, just a brief story before a question, but we, I, I interviewed a, a couple um, that they, I believe maybe in the seventies, they were hand-making sleeping bags in, um, in Oregon. Um, and they started a company called down home. Um, and they were one of the few sleeping bag you know, manufacturers in, in the U S at that time and, and hand-making every product at a super high quality. Um, and they, you know, because of the nature of the business that you're very familiar with, right. There's only so many that you can produce. Um, I mean, they, they would make product, but ultimately they wanted people to use it and experience it. And they, they actually, they had one individual who was kind of a gear collector approach them and say, well, I want to buy one. And they asked, well, what are you going to use it for? You already have one. They said, well, I want to hang it up on my wall because it's so beautiful. And um, they, they said, well, we're not going to make it for you. We're not going to take your money and sell it to you. Um, is, do you feel that in a way? Or what, what, what do you want someone to experience or feel when they purchase a product? Um, because you're, it, it's functional art in a way. I mean, they're so beautiful to look at, but I can't imagine that you want people to just look at them. So yeah. what are your thoughts there? I mean, that's a, that's a bit of a problem that I have um, because I don't want people to be afraid to use it. And mm -hmm. it's absolutely human to be afraid to use it when you buy a backpack for whatever, $2,000. Um, it's absolutely human that you be like, you, that you take better care of it than actually, actually necessary. So in that sense, I, I always have a bit of a problem. But... Uh, I feel like it's almost like with any designer, you have to put a product out there and then at some point you just have to let loose and just, uh, yeah, be it on the wall or be it, be it used. Um, but I obviously really would love to see it uh, used. And, and also, I, sp I spoke in your question earlier about the capabilities of leather. And for example, only if you use it hard, you will realize, like for example, why I chose choose leather for the shoulder straps and also the back panel is because it's it's a hide it's, it's, it's our skin and it's a completely different climate and feel to the body when you sweat for example when it's really hot um, it almost feel like it's cooling like it's not getting as hot as a foam padded whatever backpack um, and that's for example one of the tiny things that I and people that have it and use it like this really value. So I want people to experience that as well. Like, but then you really just have to be out there when you're sweating and when you're dirty and when you, and so on. So 
I'm always asking myself as well, like, do people really use it? And I can probably only hope so. Well, and there's a, a different type of beauty, right? That product kind of evolves and changes over time as it's used, right? There's, there's, there's yeah. beauty that comes with that, that leather changing and being worn, yeah. I imagine. Absolutely. Like it, it, it normally gets like more and more beautiful. Yeah. Mm. And it, at least it becomes you like, right. Right. Well, and I, I feel like your product, which is interesting because you're not, you, you know, they're, they're very limited in nature, your studio, but you're not, you don't want to be a manufacturer. You've, you've said, right. Um, you're a design studio, not a bag manufacturer, but, um, I, that's, it, it seems like the perfect product for this time that we live in where people want something that is entirely unique. Um, right. And is unique to them. Um, like, but people also want like a connection to a brand, but, um, I just think it's, it's a product that people really resonate with. They want something that feels handcrafted, that is handcrafted and handmade, but then grows with them and becomes unique. And, and so I think it's a perfect blend of that. Yeah. I think I'm also quite lucky that I start started this at this time. Like I'm mm-hmm. absolutely aware that I think we're craving as a craving more earthy experiences, let's say as a general as society and i think part of this makes people to want want to connect more to what they own and and have more Mm -hmm. more ownership yeah it's just a bit sad that it just because it's expensive and i can't make many it's a bit exclusive like i'm actually quite a bit sad about it but right well i guess that that leads me into kind of a and maybe a, a good wrap-up question, but how do you want people to interact with the company um, or with the, the studio? Like you said, not everyone is going to be able to get one. They are exclusive at this point. Um, like, how do you want people to interact with with you, with um, with the studio? Like, what what do you want people to take away? I'm, for me, you know, I don't know if I'll ever have one because they're so limited, but, <laughs> but at the bare minimum, I'm inspired and I want to treat the products that I have differently or see them more as like an heirloom or something that, that I could use for a long time, just like your product. So it, it, is that kind of the takeaway that you want people to, to walk away from, yeah. whether they buy a product or not? Yeah. Um, what, what, what do you want people to walk away with? when they experience the brand. No, I think that is really quite a good summary of what I want people to take away because I, I don't know why, but from the first moment I never had expectations of people to buy that stuff. Like it wasn't my, like I obviously needed and wanted to sell some because I, I thought, okay, maybe I can make a living from that. But whenever I showed it somewhere or something, I never had the expectation that someone buys, buys it. Like that was, and I still today, like, I'm always happy when people contact me and ask stuff and then they're like, oh, shit, but now nah, I can't afford it and, and stuff. And I think really, as I said earlier, for me, one key aspect is of design is sharing. And if I share inspiration and if I share whatever, I think that's, for me, that's absolutely fine at the moment. And, uh, yeah, as I said, that's really enough i know how much i kind of whatever i showed them to to someone today like bought magazines from japan in 2010 and i was like this stuff is amazing um and if stuff like this happens with my work i think that's fine like if people take away some of my is that a heavy word like ethos Mm -hmm. and if you can see it in the images if you can't experience it live 
by or even live with someone on someone's shoulder. If, if that ethos comes across and people take away some of it, I'm already really happy. It might only be like that much. Like it might only be a fraction, but that's cool. Like, right. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think, I think in a lot of ways, more than selling product, you are selling that ethos or that philosophy of, of what product can mean to people. Um, obviously this comparison isn't perfect, but the scale is different. But I think of Patagonia at times when you look at their website and there's no product listed, it's a cause, right. That, that is being communicated. Um, I felt the same way when I went to your website and there isn't, it doesn't lead with, Oh, here's the product. Here's the price. It's more of these are different projects that I've worked on. And more of that philosophy is, is yeah. up front in the, in the messaging, yeah. uh, which, which I thought was really interesting and impactful. Yeah. So, yeah, no, I think, yeah, really. I think that's what I want people to take away is, and also I, I think one key thing, maybe as this is also goes to students, one key thing is really to just start, like mm-hmm. just start doing something, whatever it may be, but it will definitely lead you to another thing. Right. Um, <laughs> that's a great lesson because then it'll lead you to, you know, having your own studio and, and making product. So at least it was like that for me. And even then when you don't have work and we, when you don't have money and you have your studio, you can just still make something. I think that's, right. that really got me through various dips within the whole thing where I questioned the whole idea. Right. Um, but then it's always just lucky that you can make something and then you have something and you're like, oh, it's actually not that bad. Right, right. Right. Well, this, this has been great. I appreciate you taking time. Um, I guess the best way for people to connect with you is, is the website and on Instagram, I'll include those yeah. links in the description. And um, that's fine. Like also for the students, like really like, I mean, I'm tried, I try to respond to everyone and, and I like it. So that's, yeah. Well, that's great. Well, thank you for taking the time. This has been, been incredible. And again, I, I I admire your work. I'm inspired by it and it's, it's fun to talk to you and learn a little bit more about it. Yeah. Thank you very much. Thanks for your interest. Thanks for listening to the Highlander podcast. For more conversations with outdoor leaders, subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, watch episodes on the outdoor product design and development YouTube channel, or on opdd.usu.edu slash podcast. Follow along on Instagram at USU Outdoor Product and let us know how you're enjoying the show.